you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. A lot of people like to play the game even within the research community that we'll never know. But I think that's silly. I mean, I think that it's an empirical question and we can know. By pulling our energies together and working together, we can make changes. I mean, we've gotten releases of documents that have rewritten the whole history. And we all do pray we're wrong. We'd rather be wrong than right. You know, we'd rather not have to live in the world that evidence takes us to. On the other hand, if I had to live in a world where I felt that I couldn't know the truth, that I couldn't know anything, uh, that would be disturbing to me. up everybody and welcome to the lone gunman podcast this is episode number 77 and i got a great show for you today before we get into that uh, i'd like to acknowledge the reason i put john judge at the beginning of this episode is not only because he was a uh, a very wise and great man um, and he just explained to you uh you know the pitfalls of actually knowing the truth and uh might not actually really want to know it when you get there but then the other side of the coin is living in a world where you're not able to know the truth and uh, I don't know which one's worse uh, we will be talking about John Judge today with our guest Joseph E. Green among many many other things uh, before we do I'd like to encourage everybody over to go to tlgpodcast.com and uh, check out the new layout new format new links uh, post it up over there for you and also there's a donate donate button if you'd like to donate to the cause I would greatly appreciate it uh, if you enjoy the show kick me a couple bucks you know it's, it goes right back into the show also there's a tab for the Dallas Action where it will automatically pop up a player that will play you the newest episode of my friend Doug Campbell's podcast the Dallas Action there's also a tab uh, for Neapolis Media Group that will take you directly to our new site uh for all links and uh, research or resources, 
and materials and shows and videos and all kinds of great stuff. So please, please, please go check it out. Uh, you won't regret it. Uh, but first, before we get into the show, a word from my friends over at ROKC. This is a very dangerous and uncertain world. No one expects uh, that uh, our life will be easy. Certainly not in this decade, and perhaps not in this century. The ROKC, Reopen the Kennedy Case, proudly presents the first ever Australian JFK Conference in Melbourne, Australia, this November. Join us on a quest for justice and truth with inspirational speakers and some of the world's leading authorities on the Kennedy assassination. Featured guest speakers include Citizens for Truth about the Kennedy assassination speaker and acclaimed author James DiEugenio, Gail Nix Jackson, author and granddaughter of Orville Nix, and Australia's very own Peter Morris. For more info, buy your tickets at stickytickets.com slash reopen Kennedy case conference because justice is never too late. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the show. This is the Loon Gummin Podcast, and today I have a great guest for you guys, uh, a prolific author, playwright, musician, uh, contributor to Sitka, Mr. Joseph E. Green joins me on the show. How you doing, Joseph? Pretty good. How's it going? Doing just fine. Doing just fine. And uh, I'm glad you got in contact with me because I've had my eye on you and a couple of your projects in, in, in the past that have really uh, piqued my interest, uh, in- including King Kill 63. Well, I wish I could tell you the status. I'm not sure. Um, we are looking for a distributor, and that is uh, basically the director-producer uh, Ryan Page's domain. Um, and so I just get updates from now and then about what's going on, but it has been a while. Um what we did do was at, uh, I guess, mid-April, we premiered the film at the Dallas International Film Festival. Uh, it was a rough cut, and it closed the show. It was the last thing that they showed at the uh, at Dallas International Film Festival. And the audience reaction was terrific. Uh, really went over well. Even though they were watching a rough cut, they were fascinated. Uh, they, uh, they kept me after about 45 minutes answering questions. Uh, and finally, they kicked us out of the theater. They were just, uh, they, they, yeah. People would have stayed and continued to ask questions if they had kicked us out. It was, it was very good. And so, what happened was, um, I guess I should go from the beginning. I originally got hired by uh, Ryan, who has made produced several documentaries, inclu- including uh, uh, Moog about Bob Moog and uh, uh, Blood into Wine which is about the singer from Tool getting into the wine business in Arizona. Right. Uh, but he had always been interested in the assassination. And he heard me on Black Op Radio, I think, is is what originally happened. And then he got my first book, um, Descending Views. And he contacted me on Facebook. I didn't know who he was at this point, uh, but one of my friends did. and said, oh, yeah, yeah, you want to, you want to talk to this guy? He made this great documentary about, uh, about Tool. And I was like, okay. Um, so anyway, we, we spoke, we got together and what I was originally hired for, uh, was to be a research and script consultant to a, a movie, to a film called Dallas in Wonderland. Right. Um, and I had the background in JFK and I also, I'm also a playwright, 
So I know my way around dialogue, and so he thought it was a good fit. And anyway, over the course of making the movie, which we're still in pre-production. Um, that's a great that's title, a by the way. What's that? I said, that, that's a great title, by the way, Dallas in Wonderland. Yeah, it is, and, and it's a great script. Um, it was it was co-written by uh, Adam Parfrey, who's the uh, publisher of Feral House, and Ryan. Oh yeah, and uh, it's terrific. I, I was I loved it first time I read it. It's it's a callback to uh, the films that I like, which are really the American films of the 1970s. Um, and that was one of the things that Ryan and I talked about. His favorite film is Blowout, um, which is actually an 81 picture, but it has that 70s feel to it. Have you ever seen Blowout? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and so that whole the notion of making an adult uh, thriller that has conspiracy elements and true elements uh, was very appealing. Um, so we talked about the parallax view and Three Days of the Condor and uh, Clutes and all. You know, there's a bunch of great films in the '70s that have that feel to it. Yeah. That's what they wanted to do. So, so I was I was in. Uh, but making a movie in Hollywood is just. It's an incredible process, yeah. and I don't know if that's ever really going to happen. You know, it's it's still in, like I say, still in pre-production. At various times, it seems like we're about to go into production, and then you know, there's a snag, or whatever. We've been attached to a bunch of actors. Um, it's it's been interesting, but in the course of doing this and trying to make the film made the, now in the story. The, in the movie, the hero, or the protagonist, I guess, is uh, making a documentary about the Kennedy assassination. And we had always kind of joked that we were going to make that documentary. And at a certain point, it stopped being a joke, and we said, you know what, let's go ahead and make this documentary. Um, and so we did. We started contacting people, and uh, as it happens in the film now, as it stands right now, uh, we got Oliver Stone um, and a whole slew of, of uh, researchers that, that I think listeners of this show would be familiar with. Um, certainly my friend John Judge, uh, who I believe that is the last uh, video interview of John that we got in D.C. Um, Dick Gregory, Dick Russell, uh, Dr. Mantic, Dr. Wecht, um, gosh, Vince Palomera. Um, trying to think all the people we so basically, got, uh, an all-star lineup there. I mean, in the- it, it is. It's it's an all-star lineup. It is. Uh, we we've got a tremendous, and the footage is great. Doug Horn. Uh, we we got everybody that we wanted, with a couple of exceptions. Um, and that because we had gotten all those people, at a certain point, Richard Belzer contacted us um, because he was he was he saw the names and he was like, I don't want to be part of this. So we shot his interview. So Belzer's in it. Wow. Uh, Jesse Ventura is in it. Uh, we, we were able to get a, uh, you know, a, a great, great cast of people. Um, and of course, uh, you know, Jim Diogenio. Um, uh, we shot a couple interviews with him. And then, um, while we were making the documentary, I got an email, uh, from this, from this guy who, uh, had written a new Kennedy book. And, uh, we talked for a while and he was like, you know, maybe this would be a good one for you to review. And so he sent me a review copy and I loved the book. And that, and that was jo- Joseph McBride. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, his book Into the Nightmare, which I'm a big fan of. I love that book. And uh, so anyway, we, we were talking and he did all this great work on Tippett. Um, so we brought him in 
to California. We shot his interview in California, and then later, when we went out to Dallas, uh, we brought him along into Dallas to walk through the Tippett scene. Um, and while we were in Dallas, we also shot, of course, uh, you know, Robert Groden, and we got kind of a tour of Dealey Plaza with with uh, with Robert. Um, so it's good, I, I, and I, I love the film. I love the way it's shot. I, I think it has a uh, an energy that you don't find in a lot of documentaries. It really moves, and the audience just loved it. And mostly, what I want is just for everybody to see it. Um, so we need to find distribution. Right, that, but that's right. still that's still out in the up in the air. So. Okay. Well, looking forward to that most definitely. Um, but let's get into your new book. It's called Dissenting Views Two. And something that stuck out uh, with me is I believe you said in here that you are a former private investigator. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I, too, uh, did a little bit of that in the early uh, 2000s. And I know how, you know, it's, it's glamorized a lot on TV and in the movies, of course. But in real life, it is very, very different than, uh, than uh, the Hollywood version uh, which is oh, probably yeah. probably why neither of us are that anymore. But <laughs> one yeah. thing you can't take out of the, out of the uh, the special investigator is, of course, wanting to investigate things. You know, and I think that's what your book um, and your first book is 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 kind of doing without you know without the hassle <laughs> of uh, you know actually. Uh, you know all the all the minutia that goes into actually being a private investigator, but you know it, I can I can tell just from reading your book that that you still have a passion for investigating things, and and you spoke a little bit about uh, John Judge, and he's actually the first um, essay in your book, um, and I know you kind of had a special relationship with him, and if if you could uh, just uh, talk to people a little bit about John Judge and uh, his legacy. Oh, yeah. Well, um, the thing about John is that you, you start kind of with the research part, um, but he was a lot more than just that. Um, he had been a peace activist basically his whole life, and he had been involved in um, uh, helping the, the military ever since the Vietnam War. Of course, he protested the war. Um, he had been doing counter-recruitment. So, like, in a high school, the military sets up a bench, and they, they tell, you know, the high schoolers how great it is to join the military, and he'd get a bench right next to him and explain why everything they were telling him was a lie, <laughs> uh, which I always felt was really dangerous. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he, he could not be stopped. And he would do things like um, uh, volunteer to man the phones at uh, suicide hotlines and uh, battered women's shelters, and he was always just doing something. I mean, every time I talked to him, it was, you know, okay, I got to go do this. I got to, you know, I'm going to this church because I'm going to help them with this church. It just every day of his life, he had made it a point to try to do something for people. Um, and that legacy is somewhat inherited from May Russell. Um, you know, John John had his mentors, you know, Penn Jones and and May Russell, and he was very much in that in that vein. Uh, and of course, we all loved. That was, that was the thing. And all of the, um, the, the guys who worked on trying to do the tech part of COPA, the, the conference every year, we all have a very kind of brotherly connection because um, we, all, we all have this connection through John. 
which is a joke because I'm, I'm no good at tech at all. But I, if you tell me to do something, I can do it, you know. And, right. And that's, uh, you know, if, you're, if you're, you were willing to help, it was, it was, you know, the help was accepted. Yeah, he'd find something for you to do. Conference. What's that? I said he'd find something for you to do. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Exactly. And that's what, you, you know. Um, so, you know, guys like Randy Benson and, and Tim Plainfeather, um, you know, the, 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 we, we still, you know, are on each other's emails and things and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, his old friends like Dave Radcliffe, uh, who has a great site, by the way, called radical.org, which I probably most of y'all are familiar with. Uh, but there's also another website that is, uh, sort of keeping JJ's spirit alive. Uh, which is the Museum of Hidden History. Uh, so if you look up the Museum of Hidden History on Google, you, you'll find some interesting stuff. And uh, if you want to donate money to that, you can. It's it's a great cause, and they're uh, working very hard to uh, to put that together. Marilyn, his uh, uh, his partner uh, at the end, and uh, and Dave, and several other people are working on it. So right. we're trying. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, John was John was just a unique person. Uh, I didn't always agree with everything he said, uh, but he uh, opened up my brain to so much that I had been missing. Uh, the first time I ever talked to John, we ended up having breakfast and speaking for about three and a half hours. And after that three and a half hours, it was like I was in a state of shock at how much I did not understand about American history, and it. it, it it just changed my life, and I've, I've been hooked on not just the Kennedy assassination, but what uh, Peter Dale Scott calls deep politics uh, ever since. Right, because I think you know, I think there's a veil that that, that, is, that has come down, you know, across America that where they only let us see what they want us to see, and there's very much other things going on behind that veil that we're not privy to, we're never going to know. And, uh, probably would have a lot of trouble understanding. Um, but, you know, I, that, that's just kind of the way I think of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, completely. Um, and that was one of the attractions of, of, uh, of COPA is that it's the Coalition on Political Assassinations, which meant that they dealt with other assassinations, that it wasn't just Kennedy. Right. And in fact, some people made a stink about that, um, on the 50th. Um, uh, about and very publicly made a stink about it, uh, about the fact that we were inviting somebody to talk about Malcolm X. But it, it, it's something we always did every year. We always had people talking about Dr. King, Malcolm X. I spoke about Fred Hampton um, in 2011, maybe. You know, it, it, if you don't, if if you study the Kennedy assassination in isolation, um, it can become a hobby. And, and I think for some people, it is kind of, it's kind of like being a Trekkie. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I just, I never saw it that way. It, you're either trying to understand the whole thing or you're not. Right. Um, and it, and I'm not trying to discourage people from investigating the Kennedy session by any means. Um, but I do think that it's a continuum that, uh, you know, November 22nd, 1963 begins a process that we see going on to this day. To the point that, you know, in 2016, it's very possible that we're going to be voting for a Bush or a Clinton again for president. Yeah. It's a very depressing idea. Yep. 
Um, but that doesn't happen, I don't think, unless you have this continuum of power that gets expressed on November 22nd, 1963 first, and then again and again and again throughout the rest of history. Right. That's why, that's why I'm going to vote for D's nuts. Uh, next <laughs> <laughs> I just, I no, can't. It's excellent, isn't it? 9%, yeah. I think. Yeah. These nuts is running at nine, ten percent. Yeah. Uh, right. I, yeah. I just I can't it's bear getting, the, the thought. Going. Yeah, I can't bear the thought of another Bush or Clinton in the White House, but I'm sure it's going to happen. Uh, probably Bush. I'm guessing since the Dems just had their had their turn at eight years, and uh, you know, it's just it, it is exhausting, and and you know, I'm guilty of 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 basically focusing on the JFK assassination only because. Um, there's just so much to it. There's so much there. I mean, you can look at RFK and MLK and pretty quickly, you know, you can come to the realization that, yeah, it's a conspiracy and, uh, here's what happened, but you know, basically, um, but the JFK's assassination is a little, little bit more intricately, uh, designed if you, if you want to call it that, you know? Yeah, no, I, and I'm, I'm not saying anything negative about that at all, because the thing about the JFK assassination is you can spend all this time on it, because there's so many weird angles. Yeah. There's so much going on. There's all these tendrils seemingly shooting out in all directions. And I think what happens sometimes is that somebody gets on the trail of, of one of those tendrils, follows it to its logical conclusion, and then that becomes the theory. Right. I said, well, except that it's not just that. It's everything else, too. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of moving parts. Yeah, I mean, and also in your book, you know, you addressed uh, the word conspiracy theory as a, maybe as a label. And, and you know, I, I don't like being labeled a conspiracy theorist, and I'm sure you don't either. No, no. I mean, and it, it's a funny thing, because um, I, uh, I talked about that because I noticed that it's, it's a label that basically puts you outside of normal discourse. So if you ever say that somebody's a conspiracy theorist, that means automatically that you don't have to deal with this person at all. Right. There's a crazy and person so, with crazy theories. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, it's, I don't even have to come up with arguments because what you're saying is, is automatically crazy. Um, and I actually had – the thing that sort of made me write this article was I was – I was talking to an uncle, and we were talking about our politics. He's he's kind of right wing, and and uh, and I, I made this crack. I said, "Well, I'm 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 not that I'm not really that much of a liberal. I'm only a little to the left of Malcolm X." <laughs> and um, and I was just you know I'm, I'm just kidding, um, but he said, "Well, that means that, then you're just you're just out of the circle." And I right. thought, "Wow, I'm just out of the circle. That's a really." interesting way to put that, you know? And so it made me think of the term profanity because profanity comes from profanus, which means literally outside the temple. So it's, it's something you, you profane something. It means that you've done something on the outside of the temple on the inside of the temple. And so literally you're, you're profaning things. Um, and if you have a temple, that means you have a certain idea that has to be supported at all times and always respect it. And it's not respected because of its intellectual capacity. It's respected because you have to have faith in it. And bottom line, that's what it is. 
um, all of the state propaganda in the United States, the these ridiculous divisions that we have, the things that people get upset about uh, instead of looking at the real things, those are all elements of the temple. Right. Yeah, I was talking to this, because uh, I have lone nutters on the show every once in a while. Um not not any of the crazy not any of the crazy crazy ones, but um, you know every once in a while, it's people that I can have a conversation with, you know. And I was talking to this guy, and he seems to believe that there has been no conspiracies whatsoever in the in the modern modern history era. You know, the JFK assassination wasn't a conspiracy. You know, nine eleven wasn't a conspiracy. There's been no conspiracies at all in, in modern history. And I'm just like, I mean. It, I guess for him, the first conspiracy he sees was possibly the uh, Lincoln assassination, and I just can't. I, I just don't understand that at all. I, I I wish I could live in that kind of world, but um, you know, ever since looking into the Kennedy assassination and seeing what they're capable of doing, um, or in, not even actually what they did, but you know, everything that they were capable of doing, um, when you actually start looking at looking at everything else in the CIA, and it's 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 just lunacy for me to believe that you know there's been no actual conspiracies in the last hundred years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and you don't even have to go that far. And what what I sometimes tell people, and you know, what we're talking is, look, there's no there's no modern capitalism without conspiracies, right? Yeah. Like the Enron, the collapse of Enron is a conspiracy, right? It's a conspiracy between um, certain people at the top of Enron, but also all of the banks that did business with Enron who had the ability to look at their paperwork and understand that their entire that their entire monolith was built on sand, but that they could make some money from it. Oh yeah. Um, from certain certain aspects of the oil businesses. I mean, you can't every time the uh, the federal banks get together and make a decision about one way or the other, this 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 country, that's essentially a conspiracy. They're making high level decisions between a very tiny number of people. You know, some in some cases like ten or twelve, and that affects all of our lives to extreme degrees. Right. You know, how many of you guys voted to go into Iraq? Raise your hand. Yeah. Right. I don't see everybody any. that decided. Yeah, everybody that decided to go into Afghanistan. It, where did you send your vote to? Did you write a letter? Or what? How did, how did they? How did they ask you whether we wanted to go to Afghanistan? Right. I mean, I mean if I, you don't believe in conspiracies, you don't understand modern politics. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh no, I was just gonna say I'm sure I'm sure some people did because they bought into the the whole terrorist Bin Laden uh, you know story. And of course, there was sure. there was gung ho people who were ready to go attack England if it, you know if it could be tied back to them. But you know, for people that actually you know step outside the box for a second and take a look at the big picture, you know, it's you know it's quite evident we were lied to. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's no reason at all to do that. I mean, if if anybody, we should have been attacking Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah, if he went by the because I was just going to say it. I don't want this to be misconstrued. I'm, I'm kidding. But if you were to attack England, that would actually make more contextual sense than attacking Afghanistan. But I'll leave it at that. Right. But again, I'm not, ad- I'm not advocating. I'm not advocating. No, I understand. I understand. 
that's a whole other conspiracy when you're talking about the crown and all that mess. So. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm just saying from a historical perspective, that, that you could you could make an argument. Right. Um, but they, they, but you're absolutely right. You know, people don't seem to um, understand anything. Although it's funny because I uh, so I, in my job I uh, I teach um, on a day to day basis. I teach basically insurance type stuff. But in the context of this, because they have me as a teacher, um, occasionally I go off on tangents and uh, talk about real things. And I'm always shocked at how receptive folks are to this information. I think that people in the back of their minds have this idea that they are being screwed in a very um, mysterious way, in a way that they don't necessarily understand. But when they start to hear these things, they kind of say, yeah, that, make, that makes a lot of sense, actually. At least that's been my experience. No, no, I agree with you. I'm 100%, you know, but I think with the average person out there, that they, they, they come to the realization fairly quickly that there's nothing they can do about it, and B, they don't have time to worry about it. And, I, you know, I think that's part of the design that's come down, you know, within the past 20 or 30 years to where, you know, people just don't have the time to, you know, to worry about that. They got to worry about picking their kids up from school and running them here, running them there, working, you know, both parents working, um, you know, what's for dinner, you know, what's on TV tonight, you know, and, and I think, you know, that's kind of the way it's set up. You know, a lot of people don't take the time to look any further than their own little bubble, you know? Yeah, and and you have to you have to make a concerted effort. I mean, what you're doing with your podcast, I'm sure you're making a million dollars a week, right, on this thing. (laughs) You live living in luxury doing this podcast, right? Yeah. Um, No, I mean, and the rewards are few for doing this kind of thing, Um, you know. And and you also have a tendency to sometimes get booted out, like you know. Uh, sometimes people come up to me and say, man, you should, you should teach a class on this and, you know, you should be, you know, become a professor. Do you know how fast I would get fired trying to teach people real history? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, whether, whether it was in high school or college. Yeah. I mean, it's, they don't want that stuff taught. I, I just can't imagine. I, I don't, uh, you have to do all this. You have to kind of work outside the system. Um, and the internet's been great for that. I mean, it's the internet's like anything else. There's good things and bad things about it. But one of the things that's great about it is that you have a show like this where if people are seeking it out, they'll find it. And they can, these people can be from all over the world. They don't necessarily have to be just from the United States. Yeah. That's what, that's what amazed me when I started doing this, Joseph is, you know, I can kind of see some statistics of, I, basically, I can see like the top ten countries where people listen, and the top ten cities that people listen in. Cool. And it's like, it's crazy to see somebody in in, in Taiwan or or China or you know some little African country you know <laughs> with an interest in in all this because you know I know you know a lot of people love JFK because you know he was so handsome and the whole Camelot thing and this and that and, <laughs> but there's a lot of people that, that do understand even even not from this country um, you know a ton from Canada for for instance that that realized what happened was not just to America at the time but it actually affected the whole world oh yeah yeah 
there's no question, right? I mean, our entire... What happens if we don't invade Vietnam? Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost... I don't even know... I, I have no idea where to speculate at that point. If we don't go into Vietnam. I mean, that changes everything. Um, I don't know. But yeah, it obviously had a lot to do... I mean, in, you know, Fidel Castro is the, the classic example, right? He was in the middle of an interview when he heard that that JFK was dead, and his first reaction was, oh, God, this is terrible news. Because he knows he doesn't have this, um, he's not going to have a backdoor channel with uh, Jean Dumont, I think was his name, the reporter. But he also knows that the foreign policy is going to change on a dime. He sees it immediately. You know, yep. Lyndon Johnson is not going to be very interested in me. No, no. I mean, could you imagine a world with, with you know, no warmongers, no CIA, you know, it's just, uh, you know, a peaceful world where everybody looks after their own. But, you know, that, that kind of utopia can't last forever. Something something else would have taken its place eventually. Um, you know, with, with, with technology comes, you know, greater weapons, greater, you know, jet fighters. Yeah. And, you know, people are always want to always going to be able to be bought, you know, our senators and, and our congressmen and. You know, it, eventually something else would have happened. Eventually, I think, but that definitely that definitely started the ball rolling back then, I believe, and you know, to this day. Sure, and, it, and, and that almost that this is kind of a, an argument that I have with one of my best friends all the time, which is that I'm always sort of advocating a, this idea that maybe you can't have a new society until you tear the old one down, and he keeps saying that human nature is human nature so no matter how whatever your good intentions would be if you started over um, inevitably those sociopathic elements would re-enter power because seemingly those are the kinds of people who try to get power and you'd have the whole thing repeat itself in a hundred years I don't know maybe that's true I I don't know I I go back and forth on that (laughs) Well, let's let's swing it back to JFK real quick. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, I I like you. Um, you know, I have some of my favorite uh, JFK books. Um, now, yeah. a lot of my favorite ones are things like you alluded to earlier, like Joseph McBride's, like Barry Ernest's. Um, you know, where they actually tell the personal journey of 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 a researcher and then, you know, also explaining his findings and, and, and things like that. Um, that's much, that's a much better read than just, you know, somebody putting a bunch of facts in a book and calling it, Hey, here we go. Here's my new JFK book, you know? Um, you know, speak a little bit about, uh, about into the nightmare and, and actually getting to meet and talk to Joseph McBride about it. Yeah, no, Joe is great. Um, he, uh, he's a re- we've become good friends. He's a uh, really interesting, I mean, he has a really diverse background. Uh, he uh, has written a number of, of uh, Hollywood biographies of uh, Orson Welles, John Ford, Steven Spielberg. Um, and he has a book of uh, collected interviews with Howard Hawks. He knew all those guys. Um, and he's in the lost Orson Welles film, uh, The Other Side uh, of the wind uh, that he was in with Peter Bogdanovich and uh, John Houston. 
which just blows my mind, the fact that he's in the laws of Orson Welles. When he first told me that, I didn't know how to quite react. Um, and he was also a writer on uh, Rock and Roll High School, you know, which the Ramones movie is a classic, wow. a big movie in my life. Um, in it, but while he was doing all this other stuff over the last, you know, half century, uh, he had this deep affection for Kennedy. He uh, handed out flyers for Kennedy when he was like 12 years old, I think it was. And, um, you know, attended an event. He got to see and meet uh, Kennedy and, and he became, he became a reporter. And in the course of doing that, he started, he, he sort of took some time off and he describes that process in the book where he kind of accepted, he had an initial um, sort of shock and then he accepted more or less the official version for a while and then started to come out of the fog and, and really work on it. And so, but he'd been doing it behind the scenes all this time. So this was somebody who was, um, an insider, you know, a screenwriter, but he also wrote for magazines like the nation and things. And in the background, he's doing all this work and he knew, uh, he'd become friends with Penn Jones. Uh, he had met Mary Farrell and didn't trust her, which I thought was really interesting. Um, wow. And there's a lot of really interesting detail in that book, and I, I always recommend that book to people because I think it's a big book. It's a big sucker, so maybe that's maybe that will put people off a little bit. But I think once if you once you get into reading it, it's a personal. It, it's such a personal story that eventually has all this great information because, um, like for example, Joe McBride got to talk to people that nobody had ever talked to. He has an interview with uh, with uh, Tippett's father, for example, who nobody had ever talked to. Right. Um, a, lot, a lot of really great, you know. So for the for the researcher, uh, especially in that second half of the book, there's a lot of meat there for you to go after and look at and uh, and, and and enjoy. Uh, but at the same time, for somebody that was just picking up a new book, I feel like that's a good introductory book because it starts from the personal. It starts from where he was, what he felt. And how he became essentially a conspiracy theorist, right? How did he start to believe that there was a conspiracy involved in the Kennedy assassination? Um, so I think it's a tremendous book. I'm a big fan of his, and uh, and it, you know I like to promote it whenever I can. I think it's really good. And there's there's other books like the the Barry Ernest book is another one that's you know it's really good. It tells his personal story. Another guy who uh, in the, actually the first meeting with Penn Jones in that book is hilarious. Um, I don't know if you remember, but uh, Ernest goes to visit him, and, and the first thing that Penn does is immediately sends him out as a spy to go talk to somebody. He says, yeah, 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 I can't talk to this guy anymore. He, he runs away from me, so so go out there and go check him out. You know, He immediately turns him into an agent. Uh, but that book, of course, has uh, the big interview, and it's, it's abs it doesn't appear anywhere else. And if you're a JFK researcher, you basically have to have that book. Um, so it's always nice when you have... The, the personal insight, a well-written book, because a lot of JFK books are not superbly written, right? There, there's yeah. some books that are, that have great information, but, you know, are kind of written like an encyclopedia. Um, but both of those books have good personal stories that take you through and also have tremendous information for the researcher. Yeah, yeah. Or a lot of books have, you know, like the writer has an agenda, a theory already in mind, and, and you know, everything he tells you is going to, uh, you know, substantiate his theory and this and that, which, which of course, Joseph, yeah, those tend to be the most yeah. useless books, I think. Yeah, which leads us into one of your other essays in here about uh, Phil Nelson. 
Now, let me tell you a quick story about Phil Nelson. Sure. I, I happened to be at the Warren Report conference last year in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh-huh. And, of course, he was speaking there, as was Ed Tatro and a, and a, a slew of other L- oh, yeah. L- LBJ did it guys, which personally, I don't subscribe to that theory. Um, but I was open minded. I would say, you know, OK, I'll sit here and see what these guys have to say. And, of course, uh, I was unconvinced at the end of it all um, still. Um, but, you know, I think your take on his book is 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 spot on. Um, and another example of, you know, an author with a theory that leaves out a lot, uh, and kind of misleads people into believing his theory, you know? Well, and it leads him to make a lot of, a lot of assertions that I think are really silly and that you wouldn't have to make if you weren't so married to this one theory, right? Yep. You got um, it. you know, he has LBJ plotting the parade route. You know, I mean, come, come on. Even if you, even if you believe the sort of Texas did it, which I, I'm with, I don't really believe that. If, I think if you stop at Texas, you miss, you miss the point. Yeah. Uh, but let's just say, for the sake of argument, that you could make it, you could write a decent book about this theory. You don't need to do that. In other words, you don't need to, the whole. And then I know I haven't read it, uh, but I know. If, he doubled down on his new book because his new book is from mastermind to Colossus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just, I, you know, I, I anyway, I'm, I'm going to get trashed again. He, he doesn't like me very much. Um, well, he doesn't like I, you either. I, so <laughs> I, I, I gave him a bad review, but it wasn't, it, and it wasn't personal at all. Now, the other thing that I would say about his book too, and I still stand by it is that the whole first, Gosh, I think it's the whole first third. I haven't looked at it in a while. Um, but he basically just rewrote. Um, oh my gosh, the famous LBJ biographer. I can't. I just lost his name. Caro. Um, yeah, Caro. He said he essentially rewrote Caro's information. Um, and if you go and look at the footnotes, it's just Caro, 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 yeah. Caro, Caro. Wait, so what's the point of that? Exactly. Why would you summarize somebody else's work? And then the whole, then the rest of the book is all this stuff about how LBJ killed the president, which I simply don't buy. And you can, and it's also this kind of guilt by association thing. It's like, well, LBJ was a really bad guy and he peed on his secret service, which he did. Yeah. Um, and you know, he probably had these other people killed and probably he did. I, I haven't really looked into it, but you know, I know that the, you know, there's these assertions that he killed his sister and all this kind of stuff. He's a dirty politician. He was a bad guy. But I just don't believe that he's the king of the mountain when you're talking about killing the, the Kennedy assassination. And I would have very little problem with the book if the book were called LBJ was a bad guy. Right. Right. You know, I, I don't I, I don't even I'm not even against the theory that he knew that it was coming. I mean, that's certainly possible. Um, you know, his behavior late in life was unusual. You know, they had a a guy kind of watching him uh, because they felt like he might spill the beans maybe or something uh, right when he was about, you know, uh, when he left office and he was sort of in the last year of his life. Um, but the idea, I mean, it's just, you just have to, you have to ignore the military. I mean, in this book he has, uh, you know, LBJ giving orders to, to Hoover. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know, if you've read anything about Hoover, that's going to strike you as immediately very implausible. 
that Hoover is LBJ's minion. I just, I just don't buy it. Um, and that, and it is a classic example. You're absolutely right of a, of a book where the uh, somebody's bringing an agenda and he's going to write that book. And no matter what, you know, damn the evidence, damn the torpedoes. This is the book I'm going to write. Yeah, um, now you- having. It, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, it, you know, writing a book like that, you know, with the, with an agenda, you're not going to put in anything that doesn't support your claim, you know. Yeah, exactly. And that's that. So you're doing you're doing it all wrong. What you should do is investigate and then report your findings, um, as opposed to this. Now, having said that, you know, I like Ed Tetra a lot. Actually, I've always had an affection for for Ed. Um, I, I feel like if he ever. Publishes. I know he. At one time, he's working on a book. I don't know if he still is. I, I haven't. I haven't talked to him in years. But, um, but I feel like his book would probably be better. Uh, I might not still agree with the central thesis because he's still very much an LBJ did a guy. But I think he would have done it better. Uh, yeah. So my, there, there might be some worthwhile things in it, and sometimes there are. Like um, the book, uh, the Mortal Error book. Yeah. It's another classic yeah. one. You know that Hickey shot the president. Yep. It's not a horrible book, actually. It just has a really horrible thesis, right? Um, and which makes the book useless. So I can't, I can't ever cite anything from that book because it's crazy. The theory is crazy. So even if you do good work, if you put all your your effort into your central theory and it turns out to be false, you're essentially invalidating most of the work that you're doing. Oh, most definitely. And, you know, you can see it in a lot of, like I said, in a lot of these books. And <clears throat> when I talked to Ed at, at the conference, you know, he's a, he's a very likable guy, a very uh, yeah. boisterous guy, a very likable guy, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And <laughs> as soon I remember, I remember walking into the conference room before the conference had even started on, on Friday. And, man, as soon as we walked in there, my, my buddy Doug, who does the Dallas Action Podcast, he, uh, he, he told Tatro, he's like, LBJ didn't do it. Madeline Brown's a liar. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, oh my God. That sent Ed Tatro into a spin, man. I mean, he was, he, he sat there and started rattling off for like 20 or 30 minutes. How we, why we should believe. And he's going to change our minds and this and that. And we're like, Oh Lord, what have we gotten ourselves into? <laughs> That's funny. Oh man. Wait, you got to harass people. Oh, uh, that, that's that's really funny. That's funny. Yeah, I don't believe Madeline Brown either. Um, I mean, I, I don't like. Um, how do I want to say this? Like witnesses are very useful in terms of uh, like objective type witnesses that tell you, okay, this is what I saw, and you write, you know, um, like the Newmans for years stuck to their story. I think they maybe around the fiftieth. I think they actually change their story, but, um, but the, the new is for a long time, you know, uh, witnesses like that are very useful to putting together an investigation. Then there are other types of witnesses, um, like the James Files type or the Judy Baker type that because they're characters in the story, you have to either buy that you have to buy their reality right. or not. Yeah. And if, and so it forces people into making this choice. Do I want to buy this reality or do I want to just move on? And I have generally made the choice to just move on and, and look at the documents. Yeah. Especially when there's zero supporting evidence of, of any of their claims, 
And like you said, man, you run into it very often in this case um, where people like to insert themselves into, into history. Now, you know, granted, just for instance, Miss Baker's story, you know, sure. She, she worked at Riley coffee company. Sure. Okay. You know, she might've actually seen Oswald or talked to him at some point, but beyond that, I can't tell you that any of our story is true, you know, but, uh, you know, it's not just her, you know, like it's other people, like I said, files, you got, you know, Ron Lewis, you got all these peripheral people that, you know, maybe there's something there. Maybe there's not. Um, I'm an evidence guy. I like some kind of evidence to support what you're saying. Um, and if there's not any of that, then I have to kind of push it to the side and, and dismiss it until maybe somewhere down the road, something will come out. But for now, I'm not going to include that in my theory of, of, of what happened, you know? Absolutely. Well, and, and you know, and, uh, have you ever met Ed Haslam? Yeah, he was, he, he spoke there as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it is very impressive. I mean, uh, you know, if you talk for a few minutes to Ed, I feel like he, he seems like a guy who's very solid, who is evidence-based and he gives a presentation, and it's a hell of a presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the presentation, I say, okay, but that doesn't prove that Judy Baker knew Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> like, there's nothing. There's all this sort of circumstantial evidence to show that she lived in New Orleans at the time. Right. Um, but I'm not disputing that she lived in New Orleans at the time. I'm disputing that, you know, she got mistaken for Marina and all the other crazy things that she says happened. Um, and also, I had a... Uh, the, her publisher is this guy Chris Milligan, who I like also, and he was. We were talking and and um, about the Judy Baker conference, and I was kind of saying, I, I, you know, you're a very nice guy. You published uh, like they uh, try and they published John Potash's book. Good friends with John Potash. I love his work, right? Um, but I'm just I just don't buy Judy Baker, and I can't go to a conference that has her name on it, you know, and and. So it kind of is, it also you know makes it kind of uncomfortable sometimes because like I say I, I, it's not like I know Chris very well at all we met a couple times or whatever but I just I like him and I think he, he the you know by and large they publish pretty good books I just I'm not on I'm not on the bus with this one no I, I hear you and it, and I spoke to Chris too at the conference and because um, she was there as well and Haslam was there yeah. you know it was. I think I went to the wrong conference. I think I should, probably should have went to the art conference, but, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and, uh, we were kind of working with the guys that were organizing, uh, this Warren commission conference, the JFK historical society, uh, you know, yeah. Tatro and Denton and all those guys, we were kind of, kind of working for them. Um, but, you know, looking back on it now, I'm just like, I mean, as soon as we walked in there, I knew I was in for a ride, a long weekend, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. and I, you know, I, I think, I think Chris realizes that whether Judy's telling the truth or not, or her story is real or not, uh, she sells a lot of books, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, yeah. and, uh, a lot of people don't realize that, that Haslam put out a book before Dr. Mary's monkey that was called Mary yeah. fairy and the, and the monkey virus. And, this was before Judith had come out. Um, so it's, it's quite possible that she could have got her hands on it, read it, uh, and found an opportunity to kind of insert herself into the story. Now, you know, and people don't also realize that, that, that Ed Haslam helped her write her book, uh, 
And, uh, you know, it was kind of a, yeah, it's kind of, I think Mars did too, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he actually wrote the foreword in her, in her book, in her book or something. Um, but you know, it's kind of like a mutual, a mutual thing. Like, okay, you, you're, you know, I got a witness now that's going to make my book 20 times better. You know, I'll help her out, write her book. And then, you know, one's going to cooperate the other and, you know, we'll have this great relationship and sell a lot of books and, and do this and do that. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, I get frustrated with it. I've done shows about Judy Baker before and, and, oh, yeah. and, uh, and all that, you know, just cause I remember, I think it was back at the beginning of the year. She, she was, had a real big presence on, on online, on Facebook and stuff. And she was ready yeah. to, you know, re- re- you know, ready to to speak out and stuff. And uh, a lot of people were challenging her with, you know, wanting evidence, this and that. And uh, she's kind of crawled back into her shell now. Um, and I know her conference is coming up, and I've seen the list of speakers there. And I'm just like, one of these things does not fit the others, <laughs> you know? <laughs> have yeah. You, have you seen the lineup? Well, I have, and and. Uh, well, you know what? I saw it. I saw it a, a while back, so I may not have seen the most recent one. Um, but I mean, there are a couple of. I think Dick Russell was gone, right? Uh, I'm not sure. Dick, I, was I, Dick coming? I, I was. There was a couple of names that I was a little bit surprised. Yeah, well, Joan Mellon oh, popped oh. out at me. Um, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I know that she doesn't. She, she, you know, she's not big on Judas' uh, story or book or. Uh, no. And Judy's not too kind, uh, firm on her. I mean, I know Trying Day published one of her books, and I'm sure that's the reason. But you know, I, I, I just don't get it. Yeah, that is that is weird. Yeah, the, I mean, and you, so you've met Judy, so you kind of know. Yeah, uh, yeah. How do I want to? Again, I'm gonna try to be careful here. I would say that just purely from my perspective, she does not inspire confidence. No, no. And like I said, I met her and face to face, had a chance to speak her, you know, speak to her, look her in the eye and, and listen to her presentations and, and this, that, and the other. And of course I came away unconvinced as well. Um, but I mean, just to speak to her, very nice lady, you know, um, I will say that, you know, I've got nothing personal against any of these people we're speaking about here, but when, when it comes to, you know, researching the Kennedy assassination and, and people try to insert themselves into my research, then it becomes my business as well. You know what I mean? And I I have to spend my time, you know, looking into their story and, and either vetting it or, or, you know, realizing that there's nothing here. Um, you know, it's just, I don't know. I was in a, I was in just that whole weekend is just a big haze for me. Because you know how a conference goes. I mean, there's there's long, long days. You know what I mean? Long nights. Yeah. Oh yeah. Always a fun proposition. Well, and and Judy gave us a lot of problems. The fiftieth in general was more difficult than other conferences to put together. But the what? I, so the forty on the forty ninth anniversary, um, John went ahead and invited Judy Baker to speak by remote. And um, it 
was something that I was not in favor of. Uh, we had never even, in fact, we had never even talked about having Judy Baker on. Right. Uh, and so, but it's, I forget when it was. It was, you know, it was probably in the summer. We usually started kind of talking about it at the end of the summer. And he sent me the list, and I said, you know, Judy Baker's on this list. And John was like, well, people keep clamoring for her to to speak. Let's let her speak, say her piece, and then, you know, people can make their own minds about what they think. And I said, okay, you know, I guess I can buy that. Because the thing about COPA is the idea was, um, and other other researchers like that, we always, we decided would not be there. And so we decided, okay, fine, you know, I was like, I, I said, okay, you know, I'm registering my objection. So we, we had the thing, and Chris helped her, and they, we did the remote, and it was fine. Um, but then, in the lead up to the 50th anniversary, she assumed that she was going to be on the lineup for the 50th. And she made this big stink, and so, you know, she has all these, her cult or whatever, um, they all started hassling John. And say, hey, why are you? You know, you're you're trying to crush Judy's free speech by not putting her on the on the fiftieth when when your website says that she's going to be on. And the website had the list for the forty ninth. All it did is it said she was a speaker on the forty ninth. But just because you're a speaker at one of the conferences doesn't mean you're automatically going to be a speaker at the next year's conference. Right. It doesn't work like that. It's not a bloodline. Um, so anyway, so she 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 causes a lot of hassle. And he ended up having to both yeah, she and Walt Brown were both very difficult that year. Walt Brown because uh, he decided that we should only have JFK researchers on it. He made a big stink and went on the Black Op Radio and said, "Oh, I'm not coming because of this and that." Uh, and I've never been a fan of Walt, but um, but uh, but so Judy gave some problems there. So I, I have I also have uh, a kind of negative appraisal of that as well because. She has a tendency to immediately claim martyrdom if, yeah. if anything doesn't go her way. And it becomes this big, like, all caps, like, oh, my God, I'm being persecuted. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't have patience for that. Like, we all, we're all trying to do something serious, and I, I don't have time for these kind of emotional outbursts. It's silly. Yeah, and I mean, it, you know, if you believe her story, you know, she's uh, a murderer. She is uh, <laughs> A tree, you know, you could try her for treason uh, since she knew about the assassination and didn't do anything beforehand. You know, it, the list goes on and on. Yeah. But yet, yeah. what, what's, what really got to me was, you know, all these stories of how her life's in danger and these at- attempted murders. And But she's going to come to the nation's capital, okay, with no security. Uh, she was traveling with a disabled lady. That was it. Okay. And, uh, you know, I just, I just didn't buy, um, any, any of that necessarily story that, you know, why is she coming to DC if she's so worried about, you know, what might happen? I mean, you know, Hey, the CIA is about 20 minutes that way. (laughs) The FBI is about 20 minutes that way. Um, you know, it just didn't make sense. But I, I, I'm sure that that's where the relationship was forged for her upcoming conferences with, you know, Denton and Tatro and, and uh, Trine Day. And, you know, I'm sure this this little conference was her was her idea because I, I remember originally she said, you know, she was going to have a conference there, but it would be free. She wasn't going to charge admission, this, that and the other. But, um, 
now, it, if you go on the website, it does cost money. So it's like sixty bucks a day or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm sure that comes from uh, you know the the JFK historical group guys, you know, because I'm sure they want to sell DVDs of it afterwards as well. And you know, I understand yeah. all that. You know, if you're going to go through the trouble of, of doing a conference, you know, of course you're going to want to tape it and sell it um, or stream it or something like that. But I wanted to ask you a question about conferences in general. Sure. Um, what, what, what's your take on them now in the 21st century, this far into it, uh, with, with you know, the technology that we have, the ability to share information, uh, to, to collaborate on research? Um, I kind of got the sense last year that it's almost like it's, I don't know, I just got a feeling that it's going to go the way of the dodo real quick because... You know, like I said, nowadays it's so easy to, to, to do this, you know, and, and talk to people and share things and, you know, release your research, you know, uh, to, to the world. You know, you don't need a. I know there was a need for them like in the early 90s. Yeah. You, know, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm getting at? I, I, I do. And, I, of course, once COPA dissolved, I haven't um, been involved in any conferences and I I don't have any immediate plans to be involved in any conferences. It's, um, I, of course, and for me personally, it's hard to like think of having a conference without sort of JJ there. So it would be. But as far as like the technological aspect, I do think that conferences are useful in that they might be smaller in the future, um, and they might be fewer of them, but I think they'll still stick around. I think we'll still have conferences because there's still be, even though we can talk on Skype and you could, you know, do a Google presentation or whatever, and you can get a bunch of people to do it that way. I, there is value in having people come together and just hang out. I mean, like, especially the COPA conferences, the last, I don't know, six or seven years, uh, mostly they were just a lot of work for me because, um, I was always helping coordinate speaker times I was, you know, moving stuff from here to there, making sure everything was working, the audio and all this crap. Um, so I didn't get a, a lot of uh, opportunities sometimes to actually hear the speakers because right. I was busy doing something else. Um, but afterwards, you know, after all the speakers are done, uh, y'all, you go out to eat or something and you find yourself at a table with all these people. Yeah. And, you know, we all have our different takes and we start kind of chatting and gossiping and I think that has a lot of value. I think that there's something to be said for that. You know, when you, uh, I, Randy, and I, I talked about it, I think in the four or Randy, I don't remember if I did or Randy did, but uh, Randy, my friend Randy Benson, when we first, I think it was the very first conference that I ever went to and we first met, we ended up getting a coffee uh, with John and, and Bob Groden and they were going into the, the uh, they were going into the Starbucks ahead of us and Randy kind of whispers to me, this is like, you know, if you're a hockey fan, hanging out with Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux or whatever. I don't know. I don't know hockey, so he's going to kill me. I probably had the wrong <laughs> names. Um, but the, the point being, it's like it's, like, it's kind of crazy. Like, what are we doing? Like, we're just having coffee with these guys. Um, and lots of people have that experience at the conferences where you just kind of hang out um, and, and befriend folks. And, and it's so weird because Facebook, Facebook is this, you know, this NSA collect data collection thing and yet it's so useful when you have like like when like Shane O'Sullivan is a friend of mine and every now and then we might send a message to each other and he's in Ireland so it's really easy to use Facebook 
to communicate with people all over the world. Right. Um, and to have groups. It's, and a lot of, you know, the reason that I have an interview with Bobby Seal in the book, and the reason that interview came about is that Bobby Seal sent me a friend request on Facebook. <laughs> so <laughs> everything is like, yeah, there's, there's good and bad in everything, I guess is what I'm trying to say. is that um, So I've continued to be on Facebook because even though it – you know, I recognize that they're collecting all my data and putting it somewhere, but they probably are anyway. They're oh. probably collecting yours too. So, what the hell do I care, right? Yeah. Like John used to say, <laughs> you know, John used to say, if they're tapping my phones, maybe they'll learn something. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> and I agree. I agree with you about the, that that aspect of the conference. You know, that 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 camaraderie that comes after. Uh, you know, when you're hanging out in the bar or or just chilling at a table and. You know, I, I can tell you one thing that happened to me that, that you know, is kind of a surreal moment. It, you know, it's it's hanging out uh, outside and smoking authentic Cuban cigars with Doug Horn and Greg Burnham and uh, and the guy that, that took Kennedy's body at, at, at Bethesda. You know, it's like, is this really happening? And then, uh, yeah. and then Doug Horn invites us upstairs. Uh, to uh, to a hotel room to watch a 4K scan of the Zapruder film, you know, with all these guys. So, oh, you you've seen that? Yeah, yeah. What did you, what did you think about those things? Um, what they didn't show us the whole the whole raw cut that they had. Um, just it was just a little bit. Um, I think it was part of I can't remember which frame it was, but um, I think there's definitely some something there on the back of his head and and with that orange blob uh going on there and and you know because sydney was really nice and, and tom and and you know tom was kind of explaining you know exactly what we're looking at here and 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 why it's acting the way it is um and how it could have possibly gotten like that and uh man it's seeing it in 4k like that is crazy i mean because you can you know, you see details that you could never see before. And, uh, I, you know, I personally, I think there's something there, but, uh, you know, they never, ever wanted to get involved in that particular dispute. Right. Um, about, and I've, I've never written anything about it. I don't think I really, I don't think I've written about it, but anyway, um, and I was sort of reluctant to even get into it in King Kill 63. And uh, Ryan was really interested in that part. And I was sort of like, well, I don't know. And we went back and forth and we, um, we went to to Sydney and Tom's house and they showed us that stuff. And I, I, I said, man, you look at that thing. What the heck is that thing? And the provenance of where they got that is for me, impeccable. Um, without saying anything further and and but i i was impressed i was impressed yeah me too it 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 does really look like there's and again and i go back to all the old things that i used i think why in the hell would they do this like why are they but and the other thing is that um so greg burnham was there he said and yeah i really like greg too um and he should have been in in the film he wasn't and it's it's pretty much my fault um, I basically screwed up when we were when we were doing scheduling, and Greg really wanted to be in our film too. And I had written up these questions that I was going to. I was basically in charge of writing the questions to ask the researchers. And Greg liked the questions so much that he he gave them to Lynn and said, and they did a black op radio around it. Um, so he got to say that the piece, the stuff that he would have said in our doc, 
but um, I'm, that was that's my one big disappointment is that is that Greg is not in our dock. Um, yeah, you could put him on the is, cover you know, of that thing and sold like a million copies. I mean, that's that's a good looking man right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got a lot of charisma. Got a lot of charisma. But, uh, but uh, no, he uh, uh, that whole you know he's seen that other copy of the uh, Zapruder film or at least one of the other copies, right? Uh, and you know, I mean, uh, it, it would be nice to be able to see it myself, but uh, I believe him. Yeah, I do too. You know, one thing. Yeah, one thing there. You know, he told us about seeing that, and you know, it's just one of the surreal moments where you're like, okay, let me pinch myself here real quick because, <laughs> you know, yeah. this this kind of thing doesn't happen every day, and and you know, it was because because of the conference that that you know it happened, and yeah, you know, it was worth every long, grueling hour sitting in that conference room just for that moment, you know. <laughs> Um, and there were good speakers there. Don't get me wrong. Um, but you know, I guess, I guess growing up, I always had this thought that, uh, that, you know, these JFK conferences were, were something mystical to where, you know, you could, you would go and you would learn things that nobody else would know. And, uh, you know, all this research would be unveiled at these conferences. And maybe I went to the wrong conference, Joseph. I don't... You, you did. Cause actually they, they can't, they, they can't be like that. They can't. Absolutely. Yeah, like I said, there was a lot of kookery going on at this one. So, <laughs> you know, I guess, uh, you know, with that mindset, you know, I guess, you know, when you're trying to convince everybody that LBJ did it, you know, there's not going to be a lot of that. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the, the, I always enjoyed myself at every cup of conference, and there was always something I took away from um, or met some researcher that I had never met, you know, before or got a. a kind of the scoop on how they wrote their particular book or how they came to their thesis. And I always found it terribly interesting that probably my favorite one was in, um, so in 2008, um, was the 40th anniversary of the assassinations of MLK and RFK. So Copa, we went to Memphis, um, for the MLK, which was, which is not so much because of the speakers, because we had very few speakers that one, but it was a great experience. But the, the, the really the one that always sticks out in my mind is the RFK conference in 08, because everybody was there. Everybody that had ever worked on the case uh, was there. The uh, uh, the second the, the guy who made the documentary, the second gun was there. Uh, Bill Turner was there. Bill Turner's great. I love Bill Turner. Um, anyway, every, and then in the middle of this thing, he wasn't scheduled. But William Pepper shows up. Wow! Um, for like twenty minutes, he just came and gave a quick update, and then he had to go because he was just—he was in town for like I don't know a few hours. And uh, yeah, and we didn't—we had not scheduled it. It was just like, oh, well, here's Pepper. Hey, go ahead and talk to us. But but you know, every uh, Joe Ling was there, and and uh, Von Prague. They had just done that new book, um, and then Lisa was there, of course, because she was doing her. I, I think she, I don't know if she had already started her new book, but she wrote that really good essay in the assassinations. Um, it's called something like "Crossing the Rubicon" or something like that. But it's a it's a really terrific essay about the RK assassination. Anyway, it was really good. And Shane was there. Uh, Shane showed some of his film and took a lot of ribbing because he he, he uh, the film had come out. He did that BBC thing where there was a misidentification of the CIA agent in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which was just an honest mistake by a young guy. And he said it was a, uh, you know, he admitted the mistake and 
And uh, anyway, but it was, it was that was it was a great conference because it just I couldn't imagine that we could get all those different. It would be like having every JFK researcher in the same room. You know, it's amazing. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so where could people go? I guess send them to uh, Amazon to get your books. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess the the I mean the kind of nexus for everything is is dissentingviews.com. Uh, that's my website. Um, you could also look up my stuff on Amazon. It's all available. Uh, the primary for, for this audience, it's going to be primarily Descending Views and Descending Views 2. Uh, I do have a little bit of news on that regard, which I would say if you're thinking about buying the first Descending Views, uh, hold on because I'm re-releasing it. Um, basically because the first Descending Views went through a publisher. I don't have any control over like it's like 20 bucks to buy. Right. Um, and it's hard for me. Like if I want to order copies of it, they're really expensive and I make hardly anything if it sells. So I'm republishing Descending Views in a slightly expanded version. Uh, it's going to include two new essays, uh, one about King Kill 63, where I'm just kind of reflecting on that. And then, uh, the MLK 10 point program. So I, there's a, an essay in there called the JFK 10 point program that got a lot of attention when it came out. And this is the MLK 10 point program. So that'll be in there. But and everything else that was in the previous book will be in there. So I didn't change anything. Right. Um, I, I mean, and that will be out at the beginning of September. I'm thinking September 1, uh, but it might be a little bit later. I'm, I'm working on it right now. But that book, I'm thinking the, the price would be like 12, maybe 12, 13 bucks, something like that. So I'll chop off about $8 off the, uh, the purchase price and give you a little more content. Awesome. Sounds good. And, uh, <clears throat> For, for the rest of your book, you know, we, we didn't really do it justice here. I mean, this is just a little JFK-centric podcast. But yeah. I would encourage uh, anybody out there who's, you know, into history, uh, philosophy, uh, movies. Uh, there, there's all kinds of stuff here that, in here that uh, Joseph talks about, uh, you know, as well as the JFK assassination and the various other uh, assassinations. Um, and I highly recommend it and and much respect, Joseph, for uh, for being a doer. In, in, in this community. I mean, you don't meet very many of them. I mean, you got your fingers in a lot of pies, you know what I mean? And it takes dedication and, uh, and hard work. And I got nothing but respect for you, man. Oh, I appreciate that so much. Thanks for saying that. And I want to give one more quick plug to the Hidden History Museum. Sure. Uh, check it out. Check it out. It's, it's great. Um, it's, it honors the memory of, uh, John Judge and, uh, it's being worked on by Randy Benson, Dave Radcliffe, very good people. And his former partner, Marilyn, I, I, I support it 100%. Will do, will do. And I know he had always dreamed of, you know, having a brick and mortar hidden, yeah. you know, Museum of Hidden History. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, until that possibly happens, we'll take the virtual one, you know? Exactly, exactly. All right, All right. Joseph. Man, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, it's been great. I, I really liked it. Cool deal. Hey, you hang on the line for me real quick. I'm going to talk us out. Everybody, go check out DescendingViews.com for more from Joseph Green and head over to TLG Podcast where I'm going to have some cool extras like uh, Joseph's music video. (laughs) (laughs) My music video? Yeah. And uh, (laughs) is that your music on your site, that video? Oh, it is. Oh, so you found fanfic. Yes. Yes. That is. Yes, I am. Yeah, I I do my research. Former (laughs) PI, and yeah, and released a new wave album like fifty years after New Wave happened. (laughs) Yes.
it's it's Joy Division 2.0. People, you're gonna dig it, especially if you grew up in the <laughs> grew up in the 80s and uh, 70s and 80s like me. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, cool stuff like that. Head over to TLGpodcast.com where you can find a bunch of my old episodes and uh, some cool links to uh, a lot of my friends that I support to do good work in the community. Um, that's it for this week, people. The some bitches in the can beamed up the satellite down directly to your ears. This is your boy Rob Clark. Peace. And also, let me add quickly, I was going, I was trying my damnedest to find the trailer for King Kill 63 and uh, play the audio on, on the show. Uh, unfortunately, it's been taken down from YouTube uh, by complaints from the Sixth Floor Museum. So, uh, there's that. So that might be some, some of the roadblocks that just was alluding to that they're, they're maybe running into with distribution. <laughs> Uh, you know, getting the rights to show some of the things they're showing in there. Uh, so hang tight and hopefully in the near future, uh, we will see it. Um, hope y'all enjoyed the show. Come back next week. See y'all.
Joseph's group, Fantic. The more I hear it, the more I like it. It's growing on me. It's like a new order in Nine Inch Nails had sex, and this is their baby. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm digging it. I uh, said, so there, there's a blurb you can use on your album cover, Joseph. Uh, <laughs> uh, great job. Thanks, guys, for checking out the show. We'll see you next week. TLGpodcast.com, baby. Mwah. One love. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 US only.